In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. I had the opportunity to be in Charlotte, North Carolina last week visiting a friend, and she wanted to take me to the church that she's been a part of for years. I loved seeing this church that was definitely unusual and out of the box, but I think my favorite thing about it was visiting the wing where they held the Sunday school classrooms for the children. Because there, on the walls, at every few feet, were framed, handwritten prayers to God. They were written like letters. I regret that I did not photograph them or write them down because they were so good. But I will confess that I have also um, been to some of the embarrassingly sentimental places on the web that I don't frequent that often, of course. But um, some of the prayers I found there that are like this. And they say, some of these are like this. Dear God, I love Christmas and Easter. Could you please put another holiday in the middle? There's nothing good there. Dear God, please send me a pony. I never asked for anything before. You can look it up. Dear God, could you please send Dennis Clark to another summer camp this year? And my personal favorite, Dear God, thank you for the baby brother, but what I asked for was a puppy. I love hearing the innocence and the honesty in the way that children approach God. Usually children are aware of the depth of their need. When I think about these prayers of children, I have to ask and wonder, how do we pray as adults? I suspect that each one of us has petitioned God in ways like this. Dear God, If you help me to pass this test, just this once, I'll start going to church more often. Dear God, I've been as good as possible. Could you please send my son to Harvard? Dear God, my poor mother has never done anything wrong. Don't you think you could heal her from the cancer? Even when we ask for good things, if we ask in this way, our prayer is essentially manipulative. Because if we put forward our actions as leverage for the desired outcome from God, then we are trying to move God to do something for us based on our own merit. Whether it's a merit from the past or a promised future merit. I've been good, so you owe me this one, or I will be good to pay you back for what you're going to do for me now. This approach to God is based on a lie about ourselves, the lie that we are somehow spiritually self-sufficient, that the help that we need from God is out of the ordinary. It's not usually the way things are, just this once we need a little help from him to get by. Essentially, when we pray this way, we are under the delusion that we are in a position of power over God, as if the creator of the universe could ever owe us anything. Well, we see this same kind of approach 
In the words of a group of Jewish leaders, when they petitioned Jesus in Luke chapter 7, here an influential officer of the Roman army is a friend of those leaders and he finds himself in dire need. His highly honored servant is deathly ill. And he's heard rumors about Jesus' ability to heal. But he doesn't feel like as a Gentile he can approach this religious leader, this rabbi, Jesus. And so he sends his friends, those people that he has influence with. And I suspect that the words that these leaders use are not the same as the words of the centurion. They're not the words that the centurion would use to describe himself. And we know this because in a few more verses we're going to hear verbatim his words to Jesus. And those words to Jesus there are 180 degrees from what the religious leaders say about this man. And it's right there in your bulletin. They say to Jesus, he is worthy to have you do this for him because he loves our nation and he built us our synagogue. They describe to Jesus the measure of the man's worth as a way of leveraging Jesus' action on his behalf. They are manipulating. As Charles Spurgeon once said in his great sermon on humility and prayer, this kind of petition is in fact no prayer at all. If I ask a man to pay me a debt, I am not a suppliant but a plaintiff claiming my rights. The prayer of a man who thinks he is meritorious is like serving the Lord with a writ of law. It's not offering a request. It is issuing a demand. Jesus, not one to be manipulated, yet has compassion on this desperate centurion. He sets out to come to the centurion's house where the sick servant lies at death's door. And the man hears about Jesus' approach and he sends more emissaries. Probably because he's surprised by Jesus' gracious willingness to come to his house. Why is he surprised? Except that in the ancient world, a pious religious Jew would never go to the home of a Gentile. Because if he did come under his roof, he would then be ritually unclean, cast out from the temple, unable to worship God. Jesus, by approaching this man's home, was risking his own separation from God in order to bring the healing and salvation that that household desperately needed. When the centurion sees this selflessness on Jesus' part, he sends these friends to quote him directly this time, and he says, Lord, do not trouble yourself, for I am not worthy for you to come under my roof. Therefore, I did not presume to come to you. What a completely different approach to seeking Jesus' help. This centurion knows too well the depths of his own need and the bankruptcy of his own spiritual worth. I am not worthy. He displays a sober realism and this humility 
showing himself, knowing himself to be empty-handed before Jesus is a marvelous thing. In Spurgeon's words, they that are filled with bread may boast, but the hungry beg. That centurion's lack of confidence in his own ability also accompanies an immense confidence in Jesus' ability. After he says, I am not worthy, he continues, But say the word and let my servant be healed. For I too am a man set under authority with soldiers under me. I say to one, go, and he goes. And to another, come, and he comes. This man believed that Jesus had the power and authority to deal with sin and its effects, including sickness. And he believed that Jesus was sent from God. He believes that Jesus can even heal from a distance without touching this poor sick man. This profound humility of the centurion is naturally accompanied by great faith in Jesus' own ability. And this too is our posture for prayer. This is what our approach looks like because our own spiritual merit can leverage no results from God. God cannot be lobbied or manipulated. We can only admit our own desperate need and our persistent inability to meet that need ourselves. This place of humble realism is simultaneously, just like for the centurion, a place of confidence and faith in Christ's own worthiness on our behalf. So that while we say, I am not worthy, we also say, but say the word. Because we know that Jesus' selflessness has been on our behalf, that he went so far as to take on all of human sin and evil, in dying the death of a cursed man on the cross. And that death separated him from God so that we who were far off would be forgiven, brought near, brought into loving relationship with God. And it is this everlasting truth that continually drives us to our knees with our need Before God's throne, we are on our knees and we are expecting. Just say the word, Jesus. To him be the glory forever. Amen.